So Spark, again, was created as an idea to really bring more joy and more fun into conversations about our differences. You know, I really think that diversity and inclusion in some ways has like a heavy feeling for some people just based on what I've heard. And I'm on a mission to change that experience. So Spark is one way that brings more joy and fun into kind of everyday community building experiences. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello, family. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. If you're new to the podcast, thanks so much for tuning in. That yeah, means welcome. the world. You got a hundred and over almost two hundred episodes to keep yeah. up on. That's actually fun. Good luck. <laughs> Hopefully by twenty twenty you'll be done. <laughs> We're so excited you're here. Um, we are almost thirty podcast. We started talking about the transition from our twenties to our thirties and realized that there are transitions that are happening in everyone's lives all the time. So we talk about everything in life in a really authentic, raw, vulnerable way. And most of the time we have guests who are experts, who are angels, who are doing something different, who are cool, fun, and amazing that we bring on to share with you. And who are humans. Like we really kind of see the human side of our guests and it's funny and hopefully inspiring to you and you can see yourself in them. So we think you're going to like it here. That's a good one. We should add that to like our mission for our goals is that they're human. Maybe Mm. put that in there. That's a good one. It's really what it is. I know. I always say, I'm like, I want them to have a story and be funny and cool, but it's really like human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just be joyful. Joy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, we're feeling wacky and random today. Yeah, we're feeling wacky and random. I had a brunch <laughs> with someone I hadn't seen in a long time the other day. How was that? It was good. It was good. And they were talking about another friend we have. She's dating. They're like, yeah, the last person didn't work out because he was like a huge conspiracy theorist. I was like, oh. You're <laughs> like, sign me up. And then I was like, oh, sounds hot. And she's like, yeah, like he doesn't believe X, Y, and Z. And I don't want to say the conspiracy, but it was like, honestly, the lightest. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it, it was like the, the... Meanwhile, you're like, the earth is flat. Honestly, I am like, yo, the queen is a reptile. Like, honestly, like I was like blown away. I was like, haha, And I was so uncomfortable because I'm like, fuck, dude. Like most people don't believe this. No, you know, like, or like there is like, I was like, yo, I'm a batshit crazy. Yeah, well, hey. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. It was interesting. I was like, oh, fuck, I am weird. <laughs> I love it. I know. I kind of love. I needed a little check, check so that I don't run around spewing shit all the time. I uh, I was talking to one of my best friends from high school the other day and she's going through some stuff. And I just love like 
things that I do every day or we talk about every day or every month when the moon, you know, like the moon cycle and like just like doing all that stuff, which, you know, sounds kooky, but I don't know. It's like part of ritual and whatever. And she was just like bright eyed and like, oh my God, yeah, I can't wait to do that. Like, when's the next full moon? Like, just so Aww. sweet, you know, because she's just, she's grinding away, working so hard and, and just not in a place like LA where it's literally shoved down your throat and it's everywhere. So it's, it's really cool. And we see that in our community too, where mm-hmm. they're, you know, interested in these types of things in their own communities, but it's not commonplace and it's not maybe um, something they want to talk about to a lot of people. So we're here for you. Mm-hmm. We had um for Erica's birthday, our friend Erica Kimmick, um, sweet one. She did a women's circle and there was someone that actually came in and facilitated it. So it was like 20 girls and went around, wished the birthday girl and Taylor, her friend who also had a birthday, something, you know, for the year, something that we wished for them and then talked about our word of the year and then what we were going to leave in 2018. And it was just interesting. Like there was a few girls there. One of them was Nicole, who's Erica's best friend. She lives in Chicago. She's like never done anything like that before. You know, never had came together in a circle with like prompted questions to really get open and vulnerable with women. And it was so interesting because it does change the energy of the entire night. You know, after that, you're able to really have meaningful conversations with women that are there because you really know like what's actually going on and you're past the like, how's work? Yes. How's your boyfriend? How's your girlfriend? How's your partner? You know, whatever it is, like past the general things, you're able to really get to this stuff. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day, just it's hard to have really surface conversations when we're used to going deep. And I I can assume that everyone listening wants to at least. So I hung out with a friend and he's not... I don't think he was born in America, but just in his culture, he's like, I don't want to... He asked me or I asked him how he was. And he's like, okay, I don't want to answer like all the Americans answer, which is like, good, how are you? You know, I want to actually tell you what's up and how I'm feeling and what's going on. And that was really refreshing. So I think that's a good a good practice. We can't do it all the time. I'm sure there's not enough time for it. But just thinking more thoughtfully about that question of like, how are you? And just knowing that if you're able to maybe be honest and open up, it could deepen the connection. It could give them permission to open up. I don't know. I just think there's so many opportunities we miss in these quick interactions. You know, how are you? I'm feeling a little overwhelmed today or I'm feeling I'm feeling really hopeful because I got this thing, you know, and like just more than good or great. You know? Yeah. And I also think it's the the question, you know? Yes. So it's like instead of saying like how are you, it's like how like how are you feeling today? Like emotionally, how are you feeling today? Physically, how are you feeling today? Like getting a little bit more specific so yes. that it's not like just the general answer of, you know, how are you doing? Completely. Or whatever. It was interesting though too, because it was like, okay, what do you want to release? Or like, what do you want to leave? Or something like that, like in 2018 or what's something you're like working on? And I literally didn't want to share. I was just like, I'm too close to it right now. You know, I just don't, and that was interesting because I share everything. You know, I, I don't, you know, not everything actually. That's not true, but I share a lot, you know, and I share for for what we do. And and whenever I'm at events with almost 30 or talking to, you know, our community, I always am gonna share. 
but it was just, it wasn't the girls. It was just like, I don't know. I just didn't want to, it was like, it's an old thing that I work with that I didn't want to fucking talk about again. I was yep. like, dude, I don't want to fucking talk about this. And then in a year be like, I'm working on this. Da, 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 da. And they're like, yeah, bitch heard that fucking a year ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm yep. like, dude, I've been repeating the same shit for years. I'm so over saying it again. So I was like, I understand that. You know what I mean? Completely. I'm like, I'm over it. Completely. And I'm over drawing attention to it. And I'm over like, whatever. I was just like, I'm done. Well, sometimes, you know, it feels really good to be in community and feel not alone and be able to share. And then sometimes it's kind of overwhelming and you don't really know the if the feedback you're going to get is what you really need right now. Like the, oh yeah, like totally. I'm there. Like me too. Like sometimes I don't really want to hear it, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it's nice. Yeah. Like, it's just, I'm not in the mood. And in that situation and right now, I just feel like I want to listen. Like I'm just really in, more interested in yeah. listening and being, uh, providing a good ear and like providing any insight I have rather than like, it's not like I'm like, I know everything or like, I, I just am, I'm more interested in hearing what everyone else is going through rather than fucking hearing myself again. You know, I was just yes. like, but it was like beautiful and like being able to, you know, that, I mean, me and my, you know, best friends from Chicago, like would do that every birthday. So every nice. birthday we would all, there'd be literally like 40 of us and we'd go around the room and say what we loved about the person in a meaningful, thoughtful way. Any moment we had to like build each other up with saying something loving and supportive, we would always do it. So to see that it's happening, you know, for people too, and to mm-hmm. do it for someone's birthday, like there's nothing more special, you I know? It was so nice. And seeing her little best friend, Nicole, you know, who probably doesn't have the opportunity to say thoughtful, meaningful things to her, like speak from her heart was just so beautiful. I mean, I feel like I do it all the time or I try to, and, you know, and we're at these opportunities where we can be very deep and meaningful, but it was really nice to see her like open up. It was so sweet. Erica's so good at holding space for things like that and being so thoughtful about planning something like that. She really has that intuitive talent. Yeah. Amy was there too. Oh, I love Amy Duncan of Moellens. So Moellens is um, a brand that we love. Almost 30 is the code, <laughs> but they have really, really good CBD products. We are yeah. obsessed with them. And their founder, Amy is a friend of ours and she was there and it was really mm-hmm. sweet. And it was nice to hear, like, it was nice though, too, to hear what was going on with her, you know, internally with her life and like what was going on. So that was really beautiful too. And her and Erica's relationship is just blossoming and to see them work together um, is, is amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to really poor segue. Want to talk about? Oh yeah, Fire Festival. We want to talk about Fire Festival. <laughs> it's a little late to the game. the The documentary yeah. came out uh, about a month ago, but that's how I do. It, it's had it's in it's my had old time age, to I'm, marinate. I'm not on the pulse. Yeah, marinate, and I'm sure you know you all wouldn't mind jumping into a a, a combo about it again because. Where should we begin? Shit's crazy. The first time I heard about Fire Festival was this girl that actually I knew that was supposed to go and really? got stuck at the Miami airport. Wow. And she was supposed to attend. So I was like, yo, what the hell? And she was like posting on her stories about it. I'm like, what is this? Yo, if I was not at Fire Festival, me five years ago would be at fucking Fire Festival. With like neon fuzzy 100%. boots. 100%. <laughs> like I would have bought into everything Fire Festival is like a huge loser that I am. 
I would have been like, okay, this is happening. But that was like their target demo. Those that would spend at least a few thousand, which it ended up being a lot more on an experience that it, that, that, uh, promotes a fuck ton of FOMO, you know, on a widespread level. Like it's a, it's a Coachella, but more exclusive was supposed to be a music festival on this private island. Uh, they, I mean, where do we, there's so much. I know. So yeah, it was done by this guy, Billy um, McFarland. Billy McFarland and, and Ja Rule. And Ja Rule. And they were supposed to build this very exclusive music festival that would happen on a private island in the Bahamas. And it would bring acts like Diplo, Disclosure, Blink 182, Good Music, uh, Major Laser, all of these huge acts. And it would be, you know, very. Yachts would be everywhere. Boats would be everywhere. Like beautiful women would be everywhere. Villas. Villas. Like very exclusive, very high end, very beautiful, Instagrammable, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And so it was like a dream, you know, that he had. And he's just a fucking... It was like... Fucking loser. Fucking loser. (laughs) But they promoted it by bringing in the top models in the world. We're talking... Bella Hadid, we're talking Haley Baldwin. Haley Baldwin, Kendall, Kendall Jenner, Jenner did a, a post about like they all Emrata. Yeah, I mean all of them. So Chanel they they partied for a few days, did the shoot to promote the festival and it looked quote unquote incredible. Mm-hmm. To their credit, like it's not their responsibility to know, you know what I mean, what the hell Oh, the models? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know, I think that's the thing too. Is like, I think about like, you know, that's not their job to know. They're just on the job to take the pictures and and do the content and stuff too. But I mean, the, and then the social, you know, doing the orange square. To promote it. To promote it was like genius. And the video and stuff was genius. But the fact that like nothing was actually done, period, is insane. He raised... Upwards of what? Million. $25 million. He owed so, $25 million at the end when he was like up for it. When he went to court, right. he owed $25 million. To the investors. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was to the investors, to the island in the Bahamas. Oh, right. Yeah, owed, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Oh, man. That's what... Well, I'll talk about that in a second. But so it was probably a few days out and they still hadn't set up the tents. Like... First of all, no one thought they would be in basically like FEMA tents. And yep. like tents you use when there's like a hurricane and you need a, play, a sh- place for shelter. So there were hundreds of these tents set up. There was like dirt and gravel everywhere, trucks everywhere trying to deliver things. The pallets of the $2 million worth of alcohol that they ordered just kind of lying out in the open there was in terms of like showers and bathrooms, it was like what you would see at like, I don't even know. You see it at the bungalow here in LA. It's just kind of like a trailer Mm. and the water was green. There was no system to really sign people in. Like all of a sudden a thousand people show up and they're just standing around not knowing where they're supposed to go. They thought they were going on a private jet to the island. They're on like a normal plane and then they get on a yellow bus which is not what they Dude. were told. Anything else I'm missing on yeah, that? Yeah, I'm looking right now. So Billy's story is like laden with all of these sort of 
Ponzi type schemes. Yes. So since he was five, since he was five, honestly, he was like sitting there in the interview on the Hulu one, like bragging about basically being a con artist when he was young. Yeah, hustling like, crayons. Hustle, like no, like, fuck I'm, you. I'm fucking, I'm not kidding. Fuck you. Hustling crayons as a very young kid, and his entire career was just like lying and manipulating yes. people. And um, in the end, with this festival, it was really as a Ponzi schemer does, he was supposed to have the festival. It didn't really work, but then use that to build his fire festival app or the fire app, which would connect um, D list celebrities with people that want to have like fucking bar mitzvahs and, stuff. <laughs> and have like Ja Rule at their bar mitzvah. Which Ja Rule is actually building with Icon, the app, the Dude, platform. Ja Rule's a piece of shit too. Piece of shit. And then in the end, honestly, he knew what was going on. He, you know what I mean? He did. And Billy, um, ended up after a fire festival when he was trying to get out of it was trying to sell the email lists to people. And he was basically trying to scam people um, that had bought tickets to the fire festival by trying to sell them tickets to the Met Gala, which doesn't sell tickets and all of these things that actually don't sell tickets. So he was trying to scam people in multiple ways. Mm. Even with the festival, he would make cabanas that didn't exist, try and sell them for $50,000. There was like private villas that he would you know, try and sell for $250,000. There was just multiple ways that he was like trying to scam people out of their money to like get himself out of all the debt that he owed to the investors and to all these people. But what I was telling Lindsay was basically like this guy that, you know, doesn't believe that he's going to get put in jail when doing all this. And he said that in one of the documentaries, he's like to, I don't know if it was the Hulu one or the Netflix one. It was the Hulu one. Hulu one. Yeah. He told the guy, he's like, I'm not going to get put in jail. And that is like an example of complete white privilege. Complete. Where you are just like a piece of shit that like never thinks that the law is going to get you or that you are going to be put in jail for your actions and continues to like just lie to people and like not think, think that there are consequences. And think that, you know, money will get you out of anything. And yeah, I mean, it broke my... I was like, I was tearing up watching the the woman in the Netflix one. The Bahamas. In yeah, the Bahamas. The restaurant owner. She had her and her team, you know, a ton of, of, um, native people of, of the, I guess the main Island of the Bahamas, they had worked 24 hours to make food for the event. None of them saw a goddamn dime, nor did any of the workers who set up the tents, the set up whatever could be set up. They worked for weeks. None of them saw any money. They were expecting money to come in. Like they were so hopeful that something like this would be um, returning to the island and providing jobs and stability. Like it was fucking heartbreaking. Like I pray that because these documentaries are out now on Netflix and Hulu, that that you know, there is a a massive campaign to raise money for them in there some way. There is. I wanted to talk about that. Okay, great. So there's a GoFundMe that exists that helps these um, the caterer and the people that worked on the island recoup some of the money. Great, because they she had to pay people from her life savings to work <sighs> around the clock, even though she never saw a dime for everything that she was doing during this festival. And that's, I mean, yo, and like for people, you know, the Bahamian people, it's like these white people come in and they make all these promises, fuck everyone and then leave. Like, cool. Truly. It's ridiculous. Leaving a footprint, mm. like like a, an energetic footprint in a place like that. Like even the woman, the sweet woman who, who had made all the food, she was like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Oh, like, I love her. They, 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 they hurt me. 
Oh, they changed me. They hurt me. And I oh, like for people to do that so carelessly. Oh, my God. Oh, they actually she got one hundred forty five thousand dollars. Thank God. That is that is so sweet. Whoever whoever started that. I was thinking I'm like that better fucking like that's the thing. Dude, say it once. I'll say it again. That's the thing with these documentaries. This shit is so powerful. I know. I mean, I've, I've probably said this on the podcast, but Blackfish yeah. changed Ugh. the fucking everything. game. Everything. Everything. This changes the game. It exposes people that are doing shit like this. It kind of puts a mirror to us to make us think about, you know, trusting everything we see on social media, like what FOMO means. And then also too, to help remedy the situation and give opportunities for that to... For people that have been screwed over. I mean, it's such a beautiful... It's like the R. Kelly documentary too. I just feel like, you know, just pulling the veil. Yes. And like making making it really public about what is actually happening. Yeah, honestly. It was interesting though too with... Um, I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan and just like a clip. Mm-hmm. Um, just <laughs> Joe's so funny. He's like, literally changes his opinions on everything every day. It's very very hard to understand, but that's what people are. So respect. But he was saying, he's like, you know, people are talking about the Ja Rule thing, which is awesome. But he's like, what about the Catholic church who has been molesting children for years and years and years and covering it Oh, you're saying, oh, you meant the R. Kelly thing? Yes, sorry, the R. Kelly thing. So he's like a pedophile molesting these women. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Catholic church who has been supporting the molestation of children for years and years and years, covering it up. You know what I mean? It was just interesting. It's like, maybe that should be a movement too, you know, to kind of expose that. But yeah, it's happening, but it's just not happening. Yeah. I guess there have been films and documentaries about it, but... Yeah, but the Catholic Church, yeah, the Catholic Church is just still, I mean, thriving. So hundred, it's well, it's hard, I guess, too, because with the Catholic Church, there are parts that are positive. You know, they they do a lot of good work, so maybe that's what it is. But yeah, but wow. Well, today on the podcast we have Rachel Rosen. So this is a, you know, a a conversation that aligns with what we were just talking about with white privilege. And um, Rachel Rosen is the founder of Spark, which is an interactive, inclusive card game. And she is the founder of Spark Leadership. So she helps um, educate leaders and institutions um, to make progress on their uh, equity and inclusion goals with uh, intentionality. She's a super intentional, thoughtful, smart person and she just comes from such a place of love. You know, there's, there is no part of her that is shaming anyone for how they grew up, what they know up until this point. She is just paving the way for people to become educated, to become, to be awake now to the biases that, you know, they have. Yeah. Rachel is Amazing. She is a powerhouse. We met her when we were at an event in Portland, Spark Portland, and I was just enthralled with her. She has such a cool, open, curious energy, and she is just the best person, you know, to have this conversation with us. Her mission is to spark a global conversation about inclusion, equity, and courageous leadership. Mm -hmm. So we are all about that. And I'm all about learning um, how to be a better ally, how to be a better listener, how to be a better support, how to be more inclusive, how to be more aware of my actions as it relates to other people, how to 
speak more eloquently about things, but also how to be unafraid to get a little bit messy and to be imperfect. So um, this is a part of, you know, a few of the conversations that we've had on the podcast with the hope to have more that are more inclusive and more um, eye-opening as far as it relates to inclusion and intentionality. Yes. Rachel is on Instagram at Rachel V. Rosen. And you can learn more about Spark at Spark for Community, also at Spark for Leadership and at Spark App Community. Uh, The game is really such a great conversation starter. Um, If you are getting together, you know, with friends or new friends or even, you know, if, if you can at your work. Yeah. It's a, it's really great. Yeah. Um, With your family, you know, that would be a really beautiful thing too. And we are so excited that we are going to be hosting an event in Austin in March with Rachel. We are so excited to partner with her to bring this sort of conversation, (laughs) um, this sort of activity, this, I don't know, her energy, you know, to our community and kick off our summer tour 2019. So that event is happening on March 26th, Tuesday in Austin, Texas. So you can go to our website and get tickets for that event. Um, We will be, you know, capping that at a certain amount. And we are so excited to really meet you guys in person, see you guys again if you came and visited us last year, but have more of these conversations with you in person at the first stop on our tour. Yes. We love you so much. Enjoy this interview. Podcast.com, almost 30 podcasts on Instagram. Mm -hmm. We will see you on the flip. Love you. Yeah, would love to do something with you, you know, whenever we could see like what your travel schedule is and what ours was, because I think it would be mm-hmm. like your so message aligned. is so aligned with like what we're trying to share. And, you know, especially as we evolve and grow and even, you know, during the college tour, you know, depending on, you know, where we are or whatever, mm-hmm. like there are so many opportunities yeah. to kind of share you and your message with our community. And, you know, we would be honored to to do something with you. So once we have like our cities and like what we're doing is like cities and then a rough timing, mm-hmm. we can see like what yours is too. And if we could do something together, because that would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be dope. That'd be really cool. Um, especially my 2019 goal is all about getting into higher ed, you know, colleges, grad schools, like that's just the place. It's the hub for innovation connection. Like there's this authentic, real space to, to engage and dialogue about the stuff that I'm all about. And also, um, yeah, I've been really thinking about how can we, how can I have like strategic, beautiful partnerships with folks who are aligned and also just like really amplifying messages that I believe in. So yeah, we'd love to talk more. Yeah, that sounds great. And what was I going to say? Oh, that was, I always think about how funny it was when you spoke at Spark and you were talking about like, if you ever need to like be humbled, it's like when you teach once a week, that shit is like the best. I was like, damn, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Tell us about your teaching lately. What's been going on? Oh my gosh. Okay. What are the kids kids talking about? Look at this. Look at this. Okay. This is sand. This little girl gave it to me. If you push, if you open it, so it looks like Play-Doh, but then when you squish it, it's actually sand. So this little girl came up to me last week. She was a hot mess. She was just like a disaster, which was so (laughs) unusual because usually it's a boy, which I don't... I mean, I have all sorts of like biases that come up when I'm like another kind of active boy in the classroom. We've got a place for you, right? But this girl, she was like jumping on chairs and tables. This was a third grade class. 
and her name was Eileen. And so she said, um, I was like, all right, everybody, we're at the carpet. Like, everybody calm down. I have this cool game I want to show you. Like, I always try to just like get really innovative and like amplified energy. And she, <laughs> wasn't, she was like, I see you. You're a substitute. So I'm going to stand on this chair and see what you do. And then oh. she was like, oh. She picked up the book that I was explaining to them. I was like, all right, we're reading this book about whatever, like the weather. And so I was like, check it out. We have to do this. But then we get to play the game. This is what your teacher wants you to do. And then we get to play this fun game. And she was like, I don't care about that book. And she picked it up and ripped it in half. <laughs> like oh, a brand new book. My you know? God. And I was like, yeah. oh, how dare you? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, step outside, please, right now. <laughs> and she steps outside. And then I said to her, because, you know, kids like that never like respond on the spot to like discipline, right? So I get, we get out to a quiet place and I'm like, yo, what's your deal, Eileen? Tell me what is up for you. Like I, as a female to female, we got to be in partnership here. And she was like, I don't care about you. I don't like you. And I was like, well, do you understand what you just did to this book that your teacher bought? She spent money on this thing. And it makes me really sad. Do you know what it, do you know the difference between right and wrong? Cause I'm, I ask kids that all the time. And usually they're like, yes, but she looked at me in the eyes and said, no, mm. dude. So that was a teachable moment. And I was wow. like, we need to think about like, this is a really deep thing that you maybe don't understand that you're doing these things that really hurt people. Wow. I really want to talk to you again. And the whole class was like starting to pop off control because I'm like right here at the door yeah. watching them, talking to her. And so then I go back in there and I said, we're going to talk to after class. And then she delivers this as her apology. Because I said, I do expect an apology. Like that was, in a, that was just not cool, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then... Fast forward five minutes, she comes and she's like, I have this um, therapy stand and it's in a castle. It's like in a box like this big and you pull it out and it's just the coolest thing for kids that need therapy. Like, it's just cool. And so she pulls it out and she said, I'll let you have this. <laughs> and here it is. <laughs> yeah. And like, that is something to think about, like with kids that age where like... I love that question. Yeah. Like you don't know... One, obviously you don't know like her situation at home or like how she grew up. And therefore, like we're holding these kids to a universal standard of you should know right and wrong or you should know how to be polite or the proper way to do things. And then like they're all going off to very different situations, you mm-hmm. know, and ways of like conducting themselves at home and expectations at home. So I can just imagine like the internal conflict that they're having as they're trying to understand like what's acceptable with you and what's not. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Yes. So that's the, the story struggle. of the week. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're so, we're, we're rolling. Yeah. We're so, we're so to have excited you. to have you. Um, we, just are in awe of you, you know, seeing you speak and your message and the way that you deliver it. And even just like when I first met you and I was sitting next to you on the couch, like I just love your vibe. Like I love the way you speak to people. I love like your voice and tonality and like how approachable and warm you are. And you are so perfectly positioned for the work that you do because it comes from a place of love and it comes from a place of a real ability uh, to do the work and having done the work yourself and knowing that you are a work in progress, all of that happening at the same time is just really beautiful. So um, having you on today is amazing and we cannot wait to share you and your story and learn a little bit more. I mean, I, you know, am all fucking ears. I could just sit here and listen to you all day. Um, But I'd love to talk about, you know, where this 
where your work and mission really came from. You know, was this something that you um, were really interested in learning from growing up or, or what was the real why behind what you do? Where did that start? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a great question. And the more, I think the more I do this work, the clearer it gets. I don't know if you all have mm. that experience yes. where at first mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I just had this gut feeling. And then you think that that's the reason and then you actually continue doing it. And it's like peeling away the layers of an onion, right? And for this particular chapter of my life, I'm so clear that like as a kid growing up in Texas, so I was born in New York, but I grew up in Texas and I never really felt like I fit in. You know, my parents are pretty progressive and liberal and my dad was working at the university. So it was a small university town, but a conservative town. And then like my family that was fairly progressive and like different kind of outside of the box. And so I never really knew where my were. And so I always just kind of wanted to love everybody. My mom, I remember my mom saying like, oh, you bring home kind of someone different every day from school, like from your classroom, you know, like different race, different age, different gender. It didn't matter to me. And, and then we get into middle school and then we start like learning or being conditioned in these ways that like are unconscious. Right. And so my passion and cut like deep um, commitment to be- better understanding unconscious biases and what's happening, like where are these patterns come from really comes down to middle school because I think one day you just look left and right and you're like, well, why is everybody sitting at different cafeteria tables? Like, where did my old elementary school friends go? Like all of a sudden there's a group over here that's the same race and there's all the girls are sitting together, whatever the case. Like I just found myself not like having this wise reflection at a, at a middle schooler, but like in hindsight, I think that I was probably... I remember feeling confused. Like, where did my best friend T just go? Why is she over there? You know? And I didn't have the tools to talk about that or like engage in conversations about that. But to this day, I do think that was the root of it is that like we were not conditioned or supported to know how to build bridges across difference as a, at a young age. So fast forward to, you know, I'm wide eyed, 22 years old, right out of college. And I decided to become a teacher because I wanted to change the world. I wanted to give back and like learn and, and I thought that that would be my... I just felt like this is my calling. Um, and so I fly from Texas to East Oakland, like just kind of dropped into like wide-eyed Texas mm-hmm. girl to like deep East Oakland that felt like mm, in my wow. mind, the most drastic shift that one could make at a particular time. But if you're, if I'm, you know, I think a lot of us are like, as we're in our early 20s, we're the, the mantra like, fake it till you make it, just just make it work. Like do what you can to get by and, and prove yourself, right? That's what the 20s felt like for me. It was like proving myself that I deserve to have a seat at the table. But it was freaking hard. <laughs> it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And so it, at that time, I think some a light bulb went off for me was like, first, can I do this? Do I have what it takes? Because I, I don't think I'm a good teacher. I don't think I can reach and teach all of my students. Um, but then there was this deep commitment and like relationship that I was building with my students that I thought these, this paradox, like how is this true at the same time? I want to help. I don't feel like I have the tools if I stay in it and my failing kids, but if I leave and my failing kids, like it was just this very in your face, painful, like, but magical time and chapter of my life. And so I think the commitment to like, the work around equity and inclusion and diversity really began when I stepped into the classroom, whether I knew it or not, like I had to, I had to survive, you know? 
Mm. Were there moments in the classroom where, or was there one particular moment that you remember where you recognized like your own unconscious biases? Like where did that start and how did you begin to kind of peel back the layers of that and really dig in without, I guess, the ego involved? Because sometimes like for me, at least like, it's almost like the ego's talking and then my heart's talking like about what I've been taught unconsciously, you know? Yes. Yes. No, that's a great question. And and I think that every day I, what I call like uncovered, I, every day I uncovered some bias or blind spot, you know, mm-hmm. literally every single day, because every day I was faced with like, what does it mean to be a white woman in this work? And my students were unapologetic about being like, who are, what are you white woman? Like, who do you think you are teaching Spanish and, and East Oakland? Like, what do you think? <laughs> Literally like unapologetic, unfiltered truth was constantly being thrown at me. And I was like, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, at first it took me aback. A like I'm kind of, when we get confronted with, with some of our like painful truths, I think we have that fight, flight, or freeze me- method, right? When we're, when we're thrown off, we have these unconscious ways of coping with the pain. And for me, I just froze. I was like, I don't know. I think some people get angry and reactive. And, and that's one way that I've witnessed teachers kind of, or anybody just be like, what are you? No, defensiveness. Like, how dare you call me that? Um, I've been called like that first couple of years, I was called racist. I was called a lot of names under the, under the sun, right? And I had to sit with... I didn't have the wisdom to navigate or respond with the grace that I've now had the opportunity to learn from facilitators and educators who have so much grace and thoughtfulness and consciousness in their facilitation. And therefore, I have been able to learn and unlearn some behaviors over the years. But back then, I just, I just froze and listened. I was just like, oh, this, I've never been talked to this way. I don't know what to do. And I think the pivotal moment was this day that a kid, um, it was a, a really, really challenging day, my first year teaching, and a kid literally threw a chair across the room. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, I was used to the off and on kind of talking while people were talking. There was the first year, it was just the hardest year probably of my life. It was just you're, you're faced with so many challenges. But this chair, a chair being thrown across the room was unsafe. And I, I broke down. It was the first time that I took off the mask and I actually just like I threw down my clipboard and I just kind of cur- almost like it felt like an out of body experience but I remember kind of just sitting on the ground like I give up, I surrender. I don't know. I I'm clearly not the person for you all and I don't know what you want but I can't this isn't safe. I don't think I can be your teacher in these conditions. Like this isn't why I got into this work, right? Um, How did the kids react? So this was the moment, you know. Um, my hands were shaking. I can still feel the the heart beating, and and my eyes were watering. And I thought, this is the moment that I quit. I'm gonna leave. I don't know. I can't actually do this, right? I closed my eyes because I was scared that if I that everybody was gonna walk out, like and kind of cheer on the fact that I gave up. Like, yeah, we don't have a teacher anymore. We're done. And I was convinced that I was actually going to wake up to, you know, that, that just an empty classroom. But little did I know when I opened my eyes, my students were drawn closer to me. Right? There were like five or six of my female students that were sitting on the ground with me. Like, yo, Miss Rosen, look at us. We are not 
we, we can't learn from a teacher guide. Like we are human beings. You don't understand who we are. We don't, we want to know this version of you. Like this is actually the realest you've ever been with us. Why have you been trying to like put on this front that you have it all together when really this is actually how you feel? Like this, we want you to stick around if you're going to be raw and real with us. And that's when everything changed. That's when everything changed. Wow. Leave it up to kids to like, I know me too, to really tell you. Mm -hmm. Being in the school system, and I know you still teach, like it almost brings tears to my eyes to think about, you know, teachers. And I know I'm good friends with a teacher that she teaches in um, inner city Brooklyn. She teaches um, handicapped children and the amount of children she has in her room is is really challenging. You know, the their family situation is really challenging. Like a lot of them need medications and sometimes, you know, their family doesn't purchase them for them. And so there's just a lot of different situations that happen within schools. And there's so many people like yourselves that go into the system with this burning desire to inflict change and help children and help the world and really just like open-hearted love for, for what children are capable of. And then, you know, are stuck in a system where they're not really set up to be successful by the amount of children in the room or the amount of money they have to support. You're oftentimes buying your own school supplies on a paycheck that isn't really even um, supporting you. So I guess, what was your experience within the system? And like, did you ever feel like besides even the children who are a product of the system that's already broken, like, how did that system make you feel? And like, did you ever feel like there was anything you could do to really change it so that you were better equipped besides doing your own work to serve the children and the community? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely could talk all day. <laughs> I know. Oh, there's so much to share about that one. All right. So first I'll say, you know, it is a privilege to be able to talk about school systems. Like I operate from a place of tremendous privilege, being able to sit here with you all, looking back on my time in the classroom as a teacher, my time as a school leader. And then now I get to, as a consultant and as a coach, support and coach and partner with educators, right? It's a privilege to be able to be on the outside. I'm really conscious of, especially during these times. And I also see the, the privilege that comes with some distance. I don't know if you all have experienced this. When you have a little distance from where you used to be, it just, you see it so clearly and you're like, whoa, why did I why did I not think outside of the box? Or why did, why did I continue on this like rabbit hole or like this hamster wheel? What was I thinking? You know? And I really believe that we all, regardless of everybody who's listening, right? I think we all are doing the best that we can with the tools that we have. I deeply believe that. Brene Brown says that all the time. And I think that when we talk about um, educators, like if you are an educator you're committed to helping other people learn. So I see you all as educators in a lot of ways. Like I think teachers are beyond the walls of a classroom now more than ever, right? Because we have so many entrees and entry points into learning experiences. So the, the, during these times, I feel like it's a tremendous, there's this tremendous opportunity to think outside the box. And that is a privilege to have that, that space to do that in these moments for me. Um, and I will say like the... Um, you mentioned a couple of things that I've heard a lot, right? So the system is broken. A lot of people think like the education system is broken. Is there anything that can be done? And I'll say, you know, if it wasn't for when I became a school leader, so 
there was this moment that um, was in my last year of teaching. So I was at the school for four years and I had worked with the student, Javier, who um, was really close. Like I, w- I had just seen him. He was freshman all the way to junior year. He was about to become a senior. It was my, like, I, I didn't know if this is going to be my last year, but it was my fourth year at the school. Javier, by that point, you know, he called me like auntie. He saw me as like his person at school. And it was such an honor to be a part of that. Um, Every time I share this story, my heart beats so fast because there is something that is so deeply problematic about the system and this the conditions that were that during those times, like that did not set Javier up for success. So as a junior, I believe he had just um, kind of learned that he was reading just above a third grade level. He was an English language learner. He had come over from Mexico in the back cushions of his uncle's truck like it was a this like survival experience and i had the just great privilege of learning his story and and he was just a joy uh, like a light of joy like he was the best dancer i've ever met and he was going to be a contestant on so you think you can dance i mean he would practice his dance moves in the hallway and everything it was my first year coming back to my um the first day of my fourth year teaching and i got this email that was like whoa we have really bad news about javier rachel um look at this article. And I was like, what? Um, there had been some distance between, the, you know, it was summer break. So I was like, Javier, who? You know, I had hundreds of kids. And, and I, in that moment, my heart dropped. And um, there was this article about Javier. Y'all could probably hear my voice shaking. No. Um, he, was, he was murdered. Oh. And I bring this up because it has been, this was 2009. It's almost been 10 years. And he is my wife. Every day I have his picture in my um, room. Every day I look at him and I say, like, I do this for you. This system did not serve you. I went back to the middle school that he would have gone to. And if he had received the education that he deserved in middle school, he would not be, he wouldn't have been reading at a third grade level in high school. You know, these things are so systemic and it just takes one teacher taking responsibility for one child. Y'all probably have one teacher that you think, like, this person changed my life or this person really saw me differently. Right. Um, and I just always, every day I think like what, a, a just like a fucking painful thing it is that we don't have his light in the world. Um, he had so much to give and, and I see the system not as being broken actually. Um, I think that that thanks to the work that I've had the gift of, of doing alongside an organization called the National Equity Project. They're the first ones that told me like, no, Rachel, the system isn't broken. It was designed to serve certain students and not certain, not others, right? It was actually every systems are designed for certain purposes and the system is not designed to serve all kids. And so we have to kind of think about the language that we're using because there was nobody thinking about Javier when the system of education was being designed, right? And so now what we're doing, what I think is so painful is that we find ourselves in these moments where we're trying to put band-aids on broken bones. You know, we're trying to say like, well, just try this curriculum or just change the bell schedule or just change this or teach the teachers this, give them one more thing to do. You know, I mean, special education teachers with individualized education plans, like the one your, your friend probably has, like she has, the workload is so extreme. And, and every teacher I know goes to their classroom every day wanting to do good. You know, I have not met one teacher who got into education for bad reasons. It's usually because they want to help kids. 
Um, I just think that if we're if there's a setup, like if the system is not if it's rigged, then we need to talk about that, and we need to actually talk about what is going to be required of us to dismantle in safe ways. You know, how do we actually start really thinking about taking apart the things that are not work that have never been working for all kids? And so um, that is a long way to say this um, topic is so important and it's not just for teachers to be taking responsibility for. I think it's for all of us to be thinking about like, ooh, what, how are we? Um, like, what does it mean to, you know, we all have, you know, neighbors, maybe nieces, nephews, maybe children of our own. Like this is, this is we can take responsibility and demand more and step up and speak up you know, supporting kids that are marching for what they deserve, talk about gun, you know, like all this stuff that's happening in this moment. I think we have a really opportune time to um, get involved in whatever way we have the capacity to do. So when you are consulting and you, you consult with schools so at, yes. on, a, on what scale? And I guess what I'm getting at is more like the types of conversations you are having with teachers and other people maybe on the school board and what ways you've found that like are successful to really kind of uh, deconstruct maybe what they've been taught because teachers have been taught a certain thing, you know, what what the system feels like works for the child, the universal child, which is it's clearly not working. And then has there been any pushback? Like, and how have you navigated that? Yeah. So my work, uh, just the quick story is I went from classroom teacher to school leader, then school leader to consultant slash facilitator slash coach at the National Equity Project. So after working with them for four years as a school leader, having someone coach me, then I got the opportunity to be on the other side and work with them and coaching school leaders, right? So, and I still work closely with the National Equity Project. I consider that organization one of the best in the country. Like they're doing phenomenal work in terms of equity, inclusion, and just racial justice, like really facilitating conversations about race and why it actually is critical that we talk about race as we think about these systems. Um, So the National Equity Project, I still partner with them. But then when Spark came along two years ago, this is where the pivot point happened. So in 2016, um, well, I'll say, okay, so in 2013, end of 2013, 2014, I met the love of my life, Leah. Um, And everything started to change. 2014 was a pivotal year because there was was just a lot going on in the world. I had just gotten through the, the hardest breakup of my life. I was going through this major transformation, Saturn returns. I talked to you guys about 29, like that magical year of like, boom, everything just starts to kind of either fall into place or blow up, right? And so I was, when I fell in love with Leah, everything changed. Leah happens to be an African-American woman. And so being with her, um, both like before we had been friends, and then one day, the chem- like everything changed. And I thought, huh, we were working at the same school. And I was like, what is this electric chemistry that's happened? I've never experienced this before. Like, what? And so I bring this love story in here because it is actually something that has been on my journey. Like Spark has become... The, the vehicle for my professional and personal passions to kind of take on a life of their own. And so we're dating the first couple of years and just kind of like figuring things out. I think we posted our first picture of us together in like early 2016. Like we had kind of just tried, you know, you're dating someone new and you don't want to announce it to the world, right? Especially I was navigating like, whoa, people have thoughts and feelings about this particular shift in my life. Like I have all these questions. Are you a lesbian? What does this mean? Like, 
uh, you know, people want to just fry right in there. And so um, in 2016, everything changed because we were at, um, it was the week of a very particular week in June of 2016. The Orlando tragedy had just happened and Alton Sterling had just been murdered. And there was this rise of a major shift in the discourse in social media. And I looked at Leah, we were having brunch at the Blackberry Cafe in Oakland. And I looked at her and I was like, I gotta, we gotta do more. Like, how do we, what, how do we talk about this with other people? There's just so much division in the world and we need more tools to actually listen to each other and understand where each other are coming from. I found my family um, just kind of like really wanting to understand my life, but maybe in some moments, like none of us having the tools to kind of talk about the nuance of what it meant to be in an interracial relationship or all these different things, right? And so that's when Spark came about. So it's a card game. I threw up this crazy idea on Kickstarter and I was like, I did my very first video. My v- I had never taken a selfie. Like I was camera shy to the umpteenth degree. And I said like, look, y'all, I really believe that we need more tools. And I had just had a negative experience playing sp- uh, another game that is like against humanity, if you will. And it was like <laughs> just this experience where it was a diverse group, a lot of folks that didn't know each other. And it, and it ruptured, like, it just ruined the vibe in the room. And I was like, dang, mm. this shouldn't be, you know, I guess it works for friends who are super close and can get irreverent and, like, nasty in that way. Like, yeah. get it. But now when you're meeting folks, uh, especially during that week, that week in June, you know, it was like all these things came together. And so we were on our way to vacation in Mexico. And she always tells everybody, she's like, I went on vacation. Rachel created a freaking card game while I was on the beach in Mexico. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I think you guys had a similar experience with the podcast. Like once the light bulb's on, it's like, whoa, I can't not do this thing. And then the Kickstarter passed and then everything changed in terms of like, all right, what am I really up to? What conversations do I care about facilitating? What does it mean to have a platform? Like what is a platform? Do people really listen to me? Like all all these questions came about. And so that's when I found myself... I was still working with the National Equity Project full-time. And that's when I started to learn like, all right, Rachel, you got to set some boundaries. I went, I eventually pivoted and became a consultant so that I could be more in charge of my time and kind of still support some projects and schools with the National Equity Project. But then building this business to the side and facilitating conversations with anybody who would listen. You know, At that point, I was just like, Yo, if you care about building bridges and bringing people together, talking about bias, let's talk, you know? And that's actually when I met Rachel and the Spark team. Like, so I found a lot of women really resonated with Spark. People love playing games. And so that's when the kind of the community expanded. And I thought, oh, right, this isn't just about school. This is about humanity. This is about being good people. This is about listening. This is about showing up. Um, and so I have the gift of supporting clients in all walks of life. You know, I support a couple of local businesses that are really committed to social impact and social justice. I have um, multiple schools and like, then I still get to work with school districts, some charter schools. And so, but the bottom line is the way that I'm really, I'm, I get the privilege to be really unapologetic and direct about like, my approach is different. It's radical. I require that you are open to talking about institutional racism, institutional oppression. Like, How do we actually uncover all these institutional blind spots? Um, We're going to have hard conversations about biases in our brain. And if you're okay with that, I promise we will see results because I've just learned over the past three, four years that when we um, really go in and, and are bold and confident about what we know to be true, the results amplify, you know, the results actually mirror those, um, 
those kind of bold intentions. And it's only because of the now like eight years of doing this work that I can be that bold. Like I've fumbled my way through it the first five years of just like, is this the secret sauce? Do we, can we talk about institutions, structures, and individuals? Can we talk about all three layers? And the truth is yes. And I think um, I'm just so both like humbled and honored to get to do the work with the brave communities that are willing to go there. Mm. Can we, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. And can we talk about just for the girls that maybe don't know or our audience that doesn't know what is an unconscious biasy and maybe providing an example um, for them to start thinking about a few of those? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great question. Sorry if I got too... Meta. No, 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 no. I get no. so excited. I'm like, we got to talk we, about it. I know they know. I, yeah. They know. I just want to make sure it's crystal clear. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So um, in our brains, we have, you know, we have a ton going on that we don't even know. You know, I think it's like 40 million bits of information are being taken in per second and only 11, no, 11 million bits of information are coming in per second. Only 40 of those are conscious, right? So we're talking like, if I heard a noise, then my brain is thinking, are you safe here? You know, our brains are wired to protect us. And so the thing about that is our unconscious biases are informed by early childhood experiences, memories, first impressions, um, you know, our cultures, how we were raised. There's a ton that takes place in the unconscious mind from early, early on in our lives. The messages that we receive, the media, the, the, what we hear on the news, see on the news, read in magazines, all of these things, we are like sponges, our unconscious minds. We're taking in these information, these bits of information. And the unconscious mind, so an unconscious bias would be when your brain makes an, a, a quick snap judgment, like a snap association about something that perhaps may be at odds with your core values, right? So for example... You know, if you said, um, and, and we all have unconscious biases, this is what the brain research suggests. So I think there's some confusion out there because a lot of people are like, we have to be anti-bias, anti-anti. And I hear that, but then I think that, state, that, that puts a dilemma on us to think about, all right, what, what is mine to do in this moment? Like if I am inherently biased, am I bad if people are anti-bias, you know? So I just kind of, I like to demystify um, and thanks to all of my mentors and teachers and all the lessons that I've learned over the years, it's really as as simple if you think about like our brains are primed to see something. So if I asked you like, what color is this ring? Like we happen to be having the gift of seeing each other. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. might say what? Like what is turquoise. it? Turquoise. Yeah, teal. turquoise. Mm-hmm. Okay, turquoise teal, right? <laughs> and so what teal. if I said, um, no, I said the ring. Like I was asking, what color is the ring? What's that? Gold. Gold. Yeah. So it's I like all about game. these quick, like, <laughs> whoa, I just said, I said, what color is the ring? So I kind of primed you to think color. But in fact, I was talking about the ring, you know, the, the, the structure of the ring. And so that's a prime example of like, I unconsciously was kind of priming you to think a particular thing. And you said the thing that your brain was conditioned to, to make an association with. So we go from priming to association to then snap belief or behavior. Like we say something or we do something. And oftentimes it's at odds with like what we may deeply kind of think and if we had more time, right? And so this happens in very subtle ways, you know, based on who you are. So gender, race, all of these things play a role. And I talk a lot about intersectionality and how important it is for us to be thinking about like 
as a lot of women who are listening, right? We all know if we're walking to our cars at night and we're and it's dark, what do we have in our hand? Pepper spray. Mace. Either pepper spray or at least our keys, right? We're <laughs> yeah, ready. Like illegal. we're not Jeez. just gonna get to our car I'm like, and uh, kind of... a snack. <laughs> uh, got a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. LA. Well, you know, Oakland is like every time I'm like, you know, my sister works in Oakland and like has to leave at eleven at night. And it's, yeah. And so and so I just remember thinking, like, all right, or or we get into an elevator, right? And let's say that there's only a male in the elevator. Um, how, what happens in our bodies and in our hearts and our literally my heart might start beating fast depending on your experience you know if you've had negative experiences or we've read something about ooh, women in elevators be careful men can attack you know there's just all these stuff that we've absorbed and so it makes sense in these moments our brain is trying to protect us so our heart is saying you're not safe you're not safe grab your keys you you need to get out of here right um, and and these things have lasting effects on the other party. And so when we're talking about trying to change the narrative, and for me, you know, love is love is everything. For me, it's, it's like the biases and the snap judgments that people make about same-sex couples or like interracial couples, these things happen all the time. The stares that we get, you know, just like the list goes on and on. And it, it's, a lot of it is unconscious. So I'm able to just kind of keep it moving. And, and Leah and I have this ongoing joke where she's like, everybody just thinks we're celebrities. It's cool. Because <laughs> people just stare. <laughs> like, it's just like, just unapologetic. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? It's like a, a, an animal would just walk by or something sometimes. And <sighs> um, it's, it's weird. It's just, wow. a, it, it's, a, it's an experience that I think if more people were conscious of their unconscious behaviors, then they would check their face or like, kind of, if they heard that this was an experience that I had, then I believe that more of us would think about, you know, all right, what am I actually, what do I believe and how can I be more conscious of the very subtle, super subtle behaviors and things that I say, um, how they might impact someone else. Mm. It's almost like, you know, that's why it's also important that the media portrays same-sex or same-sex couples, interracial couples, because then, you know, people might not realize it, but they're seeing that more and more. So mm-hmm. then they'll probably be less prone to stare at you because, they haven't seen an interracial same-sex couple before. So that's why, you know, the media plays a large role in that and kind of making sure that people are seeing it. You mentioned Spark. I just, I kind of wanted to just tell our audience exactly what it is. Maybe take them through kind of what playing Spark would look like. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to gloss over that because it's really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so Spark again was created as an idea to, to really bring more joy and more fun into conversations about our differences. You know, I really think that diversity and inclusion in some ways has like a heavy feeling for some people just based on what I've heard. And I'm on a mission to change that experience. And so Spark is one way that brings more joy and fun into kind of everyday community building experiences. So if you imagine if you've ever played or if any of your listeners, if y'all have ever played um, Apples to Apples, Cards Against Humanity, Go Fish, any of these games out there that are like, you have, a, a, you have eight cards in your hands and then you have a base deck that you pull from, right? And I have it right here. So this is our brand new expanded deck. It's yes. like cool. double duty. And yeah. it is, um, it's, it's really basically like you have this. We'll buy top some and, and do a giveaway for our listeners yeah. so they can have yeah. some for yeah. sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That would be so much fun. So I'm on, I'm feeling it open right now as we speak, hot off the press. Take this. Yeah. 
go check it out. So we open it up and we get um, the red card is like a sparker. I call it a conversation sparker. So if you imagine, dun, 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 I'm literally opening it in real time. Wow. That was so one the- thing you did when you spoke at Spark. You were really good at like when there was a pause or something, you were good at managing that. Like you'd be like, let's give them a hand. If there was like a sound issue or something, I was like, wow, she's a true professional. Like even right now, you're like mm-hmm. making noises while you're opening it. It's great. <laughs> and it's because I, teachers, I'm telling you, teachers are the smartest people on the planet. You know, teachers yeah. know what to do with downtime. It's, I mean, uh, the, the best teachers I know are the most talented people I've ever, I've ever experienced. So, okay. So the first question is, blank keeps me up at night. And so I pull this card and you, you, everybody, all of the audience, if y'all just imagine you have eight metaphors, eight kind of analogies. And here are some examples. A thunderstorm, learning a new language, hugging the person I love most, having the door slammed in my face, free falling, fluffy pillows, right? So kind of these like, we, we, this is the result of two years in the works of like folks constantly giving feedback and offering card ideas and stuff like that. But basically, then we would all put our response to this question, right? Blank keeps me up at night. We would put it in the top of the box, which I call the offering plate. We put it face down. And then let's say the person who's um, the sparker pulls these out and they're like, oh, cool. Okay. Fluffy pillows, hugging the person I love most. In this moment, on this particular day, um, hugging the person I love most keeps me up at night because um, for me, I've been traveling so much. And that's like the hardest part of doing this work as things expand, the more I have to kind of be away from my dog. Obviously, Ella has some thoughts and feelings about that. She's really excited. Um, but you know, so, so then I would share a story. And let's say, for example, one of you put that yellow card down. And then we would spark a connection. And the idea is that we... <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, no, oh, I can't, can't hear. hear. No, yeah, you're yeah. Good. Oh, you can't even hear? Yeah, yeah. No. Oh my gosh. Yay. <laughs> we would have this moment where we each share a story about why that matters to us. Um, and that's the real gift, right? When we really slow down and like get off of our devices, especially with diverse communities, you know, interracial couples, all sorts of walks of life, different generations, different races, different sexual identities. You know, we just are all moving so fast that we can make snap judgments about each other. And this game invites us to slow down and really listen to each other and sit around the metaphorical campfire with each other and just really listen um, and share stories. And so, um, yeah, so the the acronym is pretty simple. Show up, pause. So S stands for show up. Show up authentically. P is pause and listen. A is ask. Rather than assume, like if you think you know someone's truth, just ask them rather than make an assumption. R is respect diversity. So I really encourage people to notice who has a seat at the table. Just notice like who is visible in your newsfeed. What is their race, gender, sexual identity? Like how often do you see and have exposure to folks of a different walk of life? Because to really respect diversity is to make space for it and to invite multiple perspectives, even when it can be counterintuitive. And finally, K, kindly conflict. So kindly expect some messiness. Kindly, if something doesn't jive with you, like speak up about it. Kindly um, like remember that, that actually discomfort is the most healthy sign of growth and, and like muscle building. And so when we're sore, we're learning and we're growing. And I think um, sometimes 
we feel like we just have to have all the, like, we got to go, go, go that we forget to, um, to slow down. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, one of the things that you mentioned too is kind of like looking who has a, a seat at the table. And, you know, for us in the wellness community, that's something that we've been trying to do as well as kind of looking at the event posters, looking at who's speaking, looking at the attendees and making sure or just kind of checking in, you know, if this is an event or something we want to align with because it needs to have diversity of opinions of people, of whoever's at the event. And I think, you know, you talked about that at Spark, which was really inspiring to us as well and kind of was another mental note for us to continue to do that. And for the women that are working at corporate jobs, I mean, I often remember when I worked at a corporate job, um, there wasn't many, you know, even white women. There wasn't many white women that were at the executive level, let alone women of color or, um, you know, different sexualities or anything like that. I mean, at my jobs, you probably wouldn't even talk about your sexual preference or have Mm -hmm. that be public if it wasn't, you know, heterosexual. But um, so I think that is something too that people can also think about is kind of just looking at every institution and seeing like who represents that institution, whether it's a company, a school or an event or anything like that. That's right. That's right. Are you starting like, are you able to start conversations with the kids about this type of stuff? Because I'm thinking I went to an all girls private Catholic school. I was lucky to go, but I'm just thinking about like, you know, we would have girls on scholarship from Trenton, New Jersey, who, you know, whose parents didn't have the means to send them to private school, but they would get a a scholarship and they're awesome. I mean, some of them are my closest friends, but it's like, I rem- like thinking back now, I'm like, I'm wondering if like my unconscious biases like popped up thinking, knowing where they were from, right? And, and, and I never asked them how they felt. You know, there was never this like open conversation about that. So like I can imagine, and my school was so small, so I can imagine on a larger scale that like kids are feeling this, but they don't know how to articulate it. So are you able to facilitate a conversation kind of like legally able to facilitate that conversation? And if you are like, how do you do that? Mm, great question. Yes. So, and I love, I just appreciate your vulnerability and your sharing that story. Cause these are the, these are the stories that help us, what I call kind of uncover, unlearn, unpack and, and keep it moving. You know, we have to uncover like, what was it that, oh my gosh, I just uncovered a blind spot. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I now know that that I should have probably asked a question or checked in with that person. Let me unpack what that means for me. Maybe can I reach out to them on social? Are they like, would they be open to talking about it now? You know, unpacking like, what was that play for me? What's currently at? How does this feel? And then unlearning is big. You know, we have to unlearn so much. Then for me, at least on this journey, has been like this immediate kind of gut wrenching guilt when I uncover a blind spot. I'm like, dang, I didn't think about that. Or, or worse, if someone calls you out on a blind spot publicly, which happens, like it's a part of this work is like, I am a white woman. I am a white queer woman. I have blind spots. I have to constantly remind people that I am welcome feedback. I really do. I, I need it to be better. And I am always going to be a work in progress. And so I think when it comes to kids, um, this has been the biggest blessing. So Spark, the original deck is awesome. Now, because my pa- like my passion with with working with schools has really been rekindled this past year. We have three new additions and they're all focused on education. So there's a youth, a teen deck that was designed by and with young people. That was one of the most magical experiences. And some of them were like, 
literally nieces and nephews. And then others were students that volunteered based on teachers that I used to work with. And the teachers checked in with their class and said, Hey, do you want to be a part of this prototype, this pilot experience? And the kids were like, Yeah, I'd be into that. You know, whether it's like a homeroom class or an advisory class, we had hundreds of kids give feedback on these cards. And so that was really dope to be like, all right, we're not just offering... This isn't just an icebreaker. You know, A lot of people say like, Oh, a card game, community team builder. Yes, it, it does serve that purpose. But ultimately, my main passion is about reminding people that we got to talk about bias. We got to talk about what it really means to, to be learning how to empathize with others who we don't share an experience with. Right? How do we get better at empathizing with what a man feels like listening to this podcast? Well, we can ask. We can learn we can listen you know there are these things that like we it's possible but it takes intentional effort and so kids keep it real you know this generation of middle schoolers high schoolers and college students are blowing my mind with just how conscious they are of bias and and that is such a gift like i have so much to learn from this this generation of young people because they're really leading the way in a lot of ways and so that's been an honor to have that deck. And then we created a Spanish deck. So the whole deck has been translated into Spanish. So it's more accessible. And it's also been um, designed by and with folks who are learning English as a second language so that some of the sentence structure is a little bit more intentional and there are more images and more ways for um, young people and adults who are just learning English for the second, you know, as a second language. Um, and every step of the way, I think the only, the secret sauce of this is never saying that I have it all figured out, like constantly being like, yo, this is a community effort. I cannot do any of this alone. It will only be great the more people we have at the table. And so um, young people have really driven um, and just continue to inspire me. And I told you all this story anecdotally, like currently the thing that keeps me going is substitute teaching a couple times a month because I literally get this opportunity to kind of hang out with young people and, and be humbled every, like, couple, every couple weeks. And you know, so I get the opportunity to get their feedback. I'm like, I ask, I always ask the principal, hey, do you mind if I play this game? I, I have this company and this is what we created. It won't inter- impact the lesson. And the principals are always like, yeah, as long as everything's cool, like go for it. You just yeah. Have fun. So yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Um, what is like, what's an unconscious bias that you like have been working with recently that maybe surprised you? Because I'm sure like as you've gone down your path, you know, it's like you keep discovering some. So what is some that you've been working or what is one you've been working with recently? Yeah, no, that's a really important question because it's, um, again, the layers of the onion, like it never stops. The more I know, the more I realize I have to learn. Like I really, there is, I reject anybody who calls me an expert because I really feel like I'm always a work in progress. The thing that I'm conscious of and really um, paying attention to these days is making sure that there is a space in the courses that I create and in the um, just any opportunities that I'm facilitating to actually talk about pronouns and transgender consciousness. Like how can I be more conscious of my own unintended um, biases that I might... I'm very conscious of gender, like not putting people into a box in terms of sexual um, kind of preferences because I'm always using partner and, and kind of masculine, feminine versus male, female, but I'm, I want to be better. And every day I ask to be checked and reminded of how am I making sure this is accessible to the trans community, especially the trans community for people of color? Like, how am I being conscious of the blind spots that I, I know that I have because I don't, I don't, I'm not proximate to a trans person of color on a day-to-day basis. And so that impacts my ability to imagine 
where my blind spots are on a regular basis. And so I actually have to actively um, pay attention to that and, and seek out feedback and, and perspectives that I think are critical, that um, that is a community that is um, under attack by this administration. And it's important for me to know what is mine to do and how I can be an advocate and an ally in ways um, that are actually received as that, you know? So um, that's one. I think there are so many layers of just like being conscious of generations too, you know, in different generations. Every generation has a blind spot. Every kind of group of people has like their thing. And so whether it's working in schools and I'm conscious of like, all right, I can't make the assumption that but this particular generation is on the same page as this particular generation. What does that mean for me? How can I listen and learn to make sure that everything's accessible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been we've been having more conversations both on and off the air about, you know, gender binaries. And I know that we're kind of getting deeper and and becoming more aware when literally like on social media, when anyone has like a gender reveal party, and I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, but like I, I had this first gut instinct that was just like, oh, like it starts even before they're out of the womb and like there's pink smoke everywhere and fucking confetti. And like, it's just, listen, not to take away from the celebration. It's just like, why, how do you know? Like, yes, like technically they're, they're born a quote unquote female, but just not knowing like their spirit yet, I guess I'm, it's kind of something I'm like starting to think more about, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not close to having kids, but if I'm lucky enough to have kids, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that we're having these types of conversations so that like when I usher them into the world, it is like giving them the space to be who they want to be in every aspect of their identity. I, I love I love when you talk about, you know, finding the love of your life as well and how it's changed you. And I would love to know, because we don't get to talk about this often or go deep like that, but what do you love about Leah? Yeah. Oh, man, she really is the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I know that it sounds so cheesy. People say that stuff and you're like, really? You know that? You know, <laughs> and here's why. Because we started dating when we said to each other, actually, the foundation of this relationship is friendship and respect. And my deep belief that you as a whole are beautiful just as you are. I think some people say like, he or she completes me and, and my better half. And I'm like, no, no, we're independently awesome people. <laughs> and she sees that. She really got that. She's the first person I've ever dated that was like, yeah, you independently are a badass. And I independent, she's got the most confidence I've ever met in anybody in the world. <laughs> she's like, let me tell you about like how great, you know, and it was just refreshing and beautiful to be like, damn, you love yourself in a, in a very profound way beautiful way and she's taught me so much about self self love and like real true authentic connection with ourselves um that has made me stronger and made us stronger and she she's the funniest person i know i think laughter and and humor is so important in relationships like laughing is the everything to me and and if i'm with someone who doesn't have a sense of humor it's it's hard for me you know and so she brings so much light and joy to every community that she is with, you know, and I think this is 
my why. Like I want to, I know that we will have children someday. I know that we are building a life. Like we've been together almost five years now. And it's like, all right, so what's next? 2019 is going to be full of like a lot of big stuff. And so what, if I'm doing this work, it's in service of our future children. Like I want our future children who are going to be biracial to have to live in a world where their story with two mommies is just as beautiful, just as accepted, just as like appreciated as any other child. And we're currently far from that. And so that's why I get out of bed each morning. This is why like my love for her and my love for our future fuels me in a way that I have never actually experienced anything else before. Mm. Well, I asked just because I know you are and will continue to serve as expanders, the both of you for people, you know, not only um, in the LGBT community, but it's more like just finding someone who sees what you've always felt, I guess, too. Like you talk about being independent. And I think that's just so important right now because I think people become very, very dependent and codependent instead of like co-collaborative. So thank you for Um, being that. What is Leah, I guess for her self-love, like what do you think, how do you think she became someone that loved herself so much and was so confident? You know, is there anything she does or she's done in her life that has really brought her to that place that you think either you've applied or our girls could also think about applying? Yeah, you know, so I mean, I would love for her to be able to answer this herself. She's the the most brilliant person I know. So she will she will have some more thoughts to share. Mm -hmm. She can comment, she can join, she can do whatever. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, and I think my first impression, so like her and I, when we started dating, I was coming out of one of the most difficult chapters of my life. Like I, I had just gone through the most painful process. And in that process, I lost way too much weight. I was like at this... I, I, my relationship with food and my body was so confusing because I was really sad. Like I was really... I just wasn't hungry, which food is so everything to me. And I just had no appetite, no... Everything felt blah, you know, in, in life and in, in terms of my vigor for my own body. I was very good at putting on a happy face and serving my students at that time. Like they, as far as they were concerned, Miss Rosen, you've lost weight. But like, other than that, I put on a happy face and I had practiced that like people pleasing muscle for a very long time. But she was the first person to call me on it. She's like, she didn't judge everybody in my family. A lot of people um, were like, you're too skinny. Like something's wrong. What's, what's, there was like a lot of assigning judgment, assigning like what is, what should be. And I remember Leah just holding space for me. She was like, let's try, let's try eating this. Let's try eating slow. Let's try going to this restaurant. Like food is everything. Let's, let's just try, you know, there was never any judgment. There was just like, let's heal together. Let's, let's be on this journey together. And so her, I think I really healed my relationship with food with her. Like I had gone through some painful, just like chapters prior to, um, yeah, 2013 and her love of food and her like deep appreciation for what food does for the soul and for the body was just like this whole different experience that I had never witnessed anybody kind of talk through in that way with no judgment and just genuinely like taking time to, you know, set your alarm five minutes earlier so that you can take a nice long shower and like spend five minutes putting on lotion and like picking out the music that you want to listen to. There are these little subtle things that I first just observed and thought, it's really beautiful how much you just 
really treasure yourself, your body. And it, it was these subtle things that I think fundamentally transformed um, my relationship slowly, very, very slowly um, with myself during that really painful chapter. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like you see that and you're like, oh, I could do that too. You know, I could take a few minutes and like rub my body down with lotion and, you know, be slow. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's such a beautiful thing. And especially too, for your future kids, you know, to think about what they're going to see, you know, they're going to see you doing that. They're going to see you guys putting on music in the morning that makes you feel really good. Like it's Friday every day, you know, that kind of thing. There's just such little stuff when done intentionally can really, really impact and shape someone for the future. Right, right. If you had one thing to leave our audience with a message, um, what would it be? I think to just bring full circle, you know, like um, this idea that one conversation, one moment, one person can really change the world. It can be life and death um, for anybody. And you just never know when you're in that moment. So if we all lived with our unique spark, you know, everybody shows up differently. Everybody pauses differently. Everybody can ask an intentional question differently. Everybody can respect diversity differently. Everybody can kindly conflict. I just went through the spark acronym, by the way. (laughs) Everybody can do those five things. Each of us do that uniquely. And so if every one of us leaves this moment with a commitment to show up for someone intentionally, to just pause and be present and, and ask a question and say, hey, I want to get better at understanding my blind spots. Can you remind me if I say this pronoun and I really mean this? Or can you hold up the mirror for me and make sure that I have a diverse community represented in my, on my website? You know, these little blind spots, if we just put that one olive branch out there, that first spark becomes a blazing campfire when we continue to nurture these relationships. And so continue doing what you're already doing. Y'all are badasses. Y'all are amazing. It's really an honor to be here with you. But just with that little level of intentionality, think about, just pay attention to like, wow, what could be possible if I, if I show up with this level of intentionality? From meeting you in person and and watching you speak and just being in in your presence, I can just tell our listeners now that you exemplify all of those things and it it in turn makes you magnetic so like you know you you truly are magnetic so if anyone wants to be, wants to be magnetic to all the good things and all of the love that you deserve in the world like this is the way and i completely agree i think that's a beautiful message and also too you know something i learned from you and something for our listeners is there is like no one can say shit to you when you are so authentic and vulnerable about what you know and what you don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like you lose, like a lot of time there's a fear that someone is going to say something that you've said something correctly or you're not doing X, Y, or Z right. But if you are so vulnerable about not knowing and about wanting to learn and about wanting to be better and wanting to be more compassionate and empathetic and being on the journey, people can't say shit to you. You know what I mean? Like it really protects you from, from, you know, maybe the fear that you're projecting. So, you know, I just would encourage that. And I think Lindsay and I are really, really trying to do that ourselves during this journey, you know, that we're going on with all of the unconscious biases that we're kind of working on in our personal life and with Almost 30 Nation. And yeah, so I would just say that... um, and we are so excited, you know, to potentially do something next year with you. Where can our um, lovely ladies connect with you? 
Yeah. So everything is basically Rachel V. Rosen. They're welcome to um, check out my website. There's like R-A-C-H-E-L-V as in Victor Rosen.com. That's where all my, um, that's kind of like my hub, um, just about who I am. And then Rachel V. Rosen on Instagram. They can, I'm also on Facebook. We have um, multiple, the product has its own pages, Spark, and then the number four community if they want to learn more about the game. And I love the idea of raffling off some. I think that'd be really fun. So let me know how I can support that. Um, And just, yeah, I'm here. I'm in the conversation with you all. And I'm excited to see what emerges based off of this. And, And I couldn't agree more that like when we step up to that place and say, I am a work in progress. I don't have it all figured out. I want y'all to like remind me that I, I know I have blind spots, like that it is so liberating. And we were reminded that all this fear that has actually held us back of just afraid that we're going to offend someone or afraid of saying the wrong thing. When we just claim it and say like, I'm working on this, who can help me? Or who knows of some people out there doing great work that can like remind me that there are other ways, you know, just that little act. I just love that you said that. So thank you. Mm. We love you. We love Thank you, you so much. Love you both. It was um, so beautiful. Yes. And in the show notes, we'll have all the links for our lovely Rachel. And then we will keep you posted for when we can hopefully do something together next year. Appreciate you being here with us. Um, give Leah a hug and have mm-hmm. a great you know, holiday season with whoever's family, if you're doing yours or Leah or whatever. Mm-hmm. We love you so much. Thank you for taking the time and you are truly changing the world. Mm-hmm. Truly. Likewise. No, thanks for having me. I'm grateful and honored and really humbled um, to keep being at the table with y'all. So I'm excited to see what happens. Thanks, honey. We love you. Happy holidays. Much love. Bye. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you so much, Rachel. See you in Austin, March 26th. We can't wait to kick off our tour with you guys and with Rachel. And we encourage you to get your own deck, your Mm -hmm. own Spark deck, and have these sort of, you know, not sort of, have these what seem to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. situations, conversations with other people, and really just learn more about each other and connect more on a human level. Yeah, just kind of bridge the differences, whether it's race, gender, sexuality, whatever it is. So thank you again, Rachel. Um, Okay, review of the week. Five stars improved my life. This is from Nas. 2018 was a year of self-discovery for me. Turning 30 and simply feeling lost, going through some major life changes. And I found the Almost 30 podcast, which has improved my life in so many ways. It is my therapy. I trust the girls and the amazing people they bring on. I've worked with some of the guests after the episodes, which helped me tremendously. I'm in a much better place now and ready to take 2019 and make it my bitch. I can't say it enough. This podcast is amazing. I look forward to every episode. Yes, honey. Thanks, Naz. Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you guys writing those um, reviews. They're so sweet. They mean so much to us. And we just want to read them so that you guys know that we see you and we are thankful. Um, So thanks for doing that. You can follow us on Instagram at Almost30Podcast. We are soon launching our Almost30 Podcast Ambassador Program. Um, live with everyone and that Instagram as well to highlight you guys in the community and provide you a platform to connect further with one another. And then if you are interested in starting your own podcast, check out Your Podcast Pro. That's Y-O-U-R podcastpro.com. And you can find resources for starting a podcast, for monetizing a podcast, for marketing your podcast, basically anything you need to have a successful podcast, we have there available for you now. 
Yes. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you get every episode Tuesday and Thursday in your little podcast inbox ready to go. And if you are called to do so, we would love a rating on iTunes. It means the world to us. So excited to meet you all this year. It's going to be a year to remember. Yeah. Can't think of another descriptor. Beautiful. Cool. That'll be our movie. All right. We love you guys so much. (laughs) Love you. Bye. Bye.